So, this morning, what are we going to talk about? We are going to talk about gold rocks, green tea, and Brexit. So, I'm going to mix up some metaphors, but basically, I just want to really bring home this one simple idea of relationship over being right. <gasps> I did it. Um, sorry, it's quite exciting. I have the remote here by myself. So, do I want to be right or do I want to be in relationship? This is kind of the question that I want us to really think about today. I'm going to help answer a little bit. So I'm asking this question as if it's one or the other because whichever you respond from in times of conflict or disagreement tells us something about ourselves. Of course, you can be both right and in a relationship with one another, but from whichever you respond, from whichever you react, tells you how far along you are on this journey of becoming more like Jesus. There's this story in the Bible, in the New Testament, where a woman is caught committing adultery and the Pharisees bring her and want to stone her. And they ask Jesus, Jesus, what should we do with this woman? Look at her, what she's done. We caught her in the act um, and she should be stoned. Jesus, of course, knows that this is the law. It's not like, oh, let me, let me read Old Testament and catch up. He knows, he knows the right answer, but he doesn't come from a place of being right or even from a place of showing the Pharisees that they are wrong for wanting to stone her. The Pharisees, you see, they want justice. Who's here at least once have said, that's so unfair, I wanted justice, I wanted my way. Even sometimes when I'm driving and someone's taking me over, I'm like, next light, I will take them over and there will be justice. Because um, we like this word justice, don't we? We like it to be right and just and just fair. But the Hebrew word for justice in in the Bible, is mishpat, which is sometimes used as retributive justice. Like, if I steal something, I pay the consequence. But more often than not, in the Bible, mishpat is used as restorative justice, which means going a step forward, seeking out restoration. Jesus always comes from a place of love, always comes from a place of seeking uh, restoration. He seeks to restore us to the Father. He loves us so much that he doesn't come with a retributive justice that you have to pay for your consequence, but he comes in with a restorative justice. He comes from a place of truth and grace. When truth and grace meet, it creates this place of allowing a third option. So, what do I mean by that third option? Let's take the situation that Jesus was in. He was meeting the woman with truth. Uh, yeah. If he was going to meet the woman in truth, they would have meant to respond by stoning her. The truth is, she was caught. The law says they stone her. That is what the scripture said. And meeting her from a place of grace would have meant saying that it's okay what she did. You keep going. You go, girl. Keep doing what you're doing. Which she didn't. Because he knows that some actions cause us pain and those around us pain. So if he doesn't create life, then Jesus is not interested. So he's not saying, okay, stone her. I'm not here. The law says this, you caught her, stone her. But he's not here going, you know what? You keep going. I know this is causing you pain, but if this is what you want to do, carry on going. Jesus is not either of those. And the Pharisees are watching him. He want to see which one is it going to be. But Jesus is in this beautiful place of a third option. Did I put that? 
The scripture says to stone if someone is found doing what she was doing. But then again, who here can say they never did anything wrong? He asked them this question. Who here can say there's nothing wrong? He, Jesus is finding the Pharisees in this place of truth and grace, where love and grace meet. We often see situations as options A or B. And we can get caught up in the A or B. It's either this or this. But throughout the New Testament, we see Jesus beautifully walking the line of truth and grace. We see Jesus always finding a third option. In this case, the Pharisees were like, it's either A or B. Pharisees say, it's either A, we stone her, and Jesus is so horrible for telling us to stone her. Or it's B, we don't stone her, and Jesus is so horrible because he doesn't follow the law. And they're like, well, whichever, we we cut Jesus. But Jesus is like, what about C? And they don't even have C in their mind. They don't even have a third option because they want to cut Jesus. Their, their mind is not about justice or restorative justice or, or the woman. They just want to cut Jesus. And Jesus is like, what about C? The law is correct. But if we apply it to everyone, there will be nobody left because we'd stone everyone. We can easily get caught in A or B. I know I have many times. It's either A, you see my point of view, and we agree, and I'm correct, and we can carry on being in a relationship, or B, you don't agree with me and my point of view, which means you don't agree with everything that I say, and you don't like me, and something has been broken, the end. And it's A or B. And even if you don't have it so clearly in your mind, it's A or B, wherever we go, wherever interaction we have. This is how we are at times, aren't we? Yeah, not just me? It's like, oh, I don't want to see so-and-so because they didn't vote like I did and we haven't spoken since, so I don't really want to see them. Or I don't really want to help so-and-so because they didn't agree with me on this subject or on that subject, therefore we can't really be in the same room together because it's a bit awkward. Or how can I amend their prayer when they agreed with Brexit and I don't agree with Brexit, therefore everything they say has to be against everything I say, therefore I can't be friends with them, or I can't amend their prayer. They said that, therefore everything they say must be wrong. We, we take one idea of a person, or one phrase, or one something that something does, and we put it on them. And we're like, well, if they agree with Brexit, therefore they agree with this, 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 and I don't agree with those things, therefore I can't be friends with them. Therefore I can't talk to them. Therefore I can't listen to anything they ever say, even though there might be some wisdom in what they say after that. But Jesus shows us time and time again that there is this place of truth and grace where we can meet people. A place where choosing to look at the gold instead of the grit. That's what we listened to a few weeks ago from Adam. It means we have to love that person more than love being right. Who here honestly can say that they love being right? Thank you for your honesty. When sometimes, not very often, I get to be right in our house, I actually get like a very exciting feeling. Like I was right. And especially if it's after a long kind of, who loves being right? But Jesus tells us that we need to love the person in front of us more than being right. Now, if you love being right, you're going to think more than loving being right. That's a lot. But this is where, this is the journey where we need to be. This is where Jesus wants us to be. This is where Jesus was all the time. Jesus was right 100% of the time, wasn't he? 
And he probably had all the proof to show them. He knew the old the whole Old Testament. He's like, guys, I was there, you know, remember? You can't really tell me. He's like, but time and time again, Jesus loves the person in front more than being right. And interestingly, something that really stood out to me in this story is that Jesus, the only one that had any right to stone the woman, didn't stone her. The only one that had a right to be like, either way, I'm the only one here that didn't do anything. Let me tell you how you should do it next time. It's fine for this time. He didn't do any of that, which is amazing. He, he had a right to stone her and chose not to. When we meet people from this place of, I am right, let me bring out the evidence of why I'm right, we lose sight of the person in front of us. And love is not in a place. I've... I can say that those times when you are so caught up in making sure that you show the person you are right, I'm not even, I even forget even who I'm talking to. It's just more like, okay, it's point A and then point B, and then this article proves what I want to say, and then this verse in the Bible also bucks me up, and then let's go. We've got all the army. Yes, let's go and show them we're right. And then you kind of forget of the person in front of you. If my sole goal is to be right or to try to prove my point without taking the person into account, then by the end... I might achieve my goal, but that person isn't lifted, isn't encouraged, isn't loved. And that should be my goal. That should be my priority, to love one another, not to be right, not to prove them I'm right, even when I know I am right. Jesus knew 100% of the times that he could be right, and if he says his point of view, he will be right. But his goal, his priority, was to love one another. A few days ago, I was on the bus um, with Ollie, he loves taking the bus these days, even though we have a car. But anyway, we're on the bus, and this girl comes in. She's really young. She has, wears a uniform, so I'm like, she's a schoolgirl. And um, she gets on the bus, but her brother, or whoever this little boy was, he didn't get on the bus. So they say bye, and he gets to go and cross over the road. But bless him, he didn't look. So this car that was overtaken almost hit him. So the girl gets really frightened. She goes out to him. She makes sure he's okay. She crosses the road with him, comes back to the bus. Well, by this point, everyone on the bus saw what happened. And they were like, oh, how irresponsible this girl is. How dare she leave him alone? She should have crossed him first before she, she got on the bus. Why did she leave him alone? That is very silly. That is very stupid. And everyone was saying these things. And when she came in, people even thought, oh, let, let, let's tell her how responsible she was, as if she had no idea. This girl was absolutely distraught. Of course she was. Of course she realized what she did. She didn't, she didn't need anybody to tell her how wrong she was or how she should, could, could have done it better. She already knew. But by the end of the interaction, did she feel loved? No. Did she feel lifted up? Did she feel encouraged? The exact opposite of that. She already knew all the things that everyone was thinking and saying out loud. These questions help us see where we come from in a situation or disagreement. By the end of the interaction, I must ask myself, does this person feel loved? Do they feel uplifted? Do they feel encouraged? Do they feel supported? Because if, they, if the answer to any of these questions is no, then you know where you're responding from. When Adam talked about gold or grit a few weeks back, he said that the only reason someone should call the grit is if they are in a discipleship relationship. And the only reason for calling grit is if they have been invited to do so, and it is with the purpose of restoration. 
So I uh, looked into the process of removing grit from a piece, piece of rock, gold. Like, it, so there's a rock like that, and you have gold, and you have grit. But the only way you, you get rid of the grit and the rock and the not good things to get rid of the gold is you have to use this tool to crush the small rocks into powder, like literally pulverize it. And then by using a very fine sifter, you find the gold. So even the person that is meant to remove the grit, to actually look for the grit, they're not doing that by looking for the grit. They're actually looking for the gold. The only reason to look at the grit is to find the gold. The only way to remove the grit is by looking for the gold. So in a relationship of discipleship, the only reason someone is looking at your grit is to find the gold. The only reason is to, the only way to find the gold is to remove the grit, but not by looking at the grit. This, um, this happens in a discipleship rate, not just telling me how you're wrong about something in the other aisle and saying it's because I'm looking for gold. Oh, by the way, you're wrong about that. Last week when you said that, it was really wrong. But yeah, see you later. That's not looking for gold. That's not, oh, I'm just helping you. You see, only an expert in extracting gold and processing gold can work with a piece of gold rock. Only an expert. So not everybody. Because by the end, that rock has become more beautiful, shiny, and precious. In the hands of the expert... Gold has come out. Something precious has come out. So if I were to pass a gold rock around here this morning, from person to person, of course, all sanitized. Um, you could look at it. You could discuss what you see. You could see, oh, I could do this, and I could do this. And Anka said, if you crush this. But by the end of it, it will come back to me, that gold, that piece of rock, is exactly the same. Nothing has changed. You can make observations about it. You can see what you, you can tell what you see, the gold, the rock, the grit, but nothing has ha changed it. Only in the hands of the expert, gold has come out. And this person is not called a, a greeter taker away. It's called a gold seeker because you find the gold. The expert's name and his job is to find the gold. Nothing to do with the grit. The grit is just a process of removing it to find the gold. That's why it's the expert's job to remove grit and find the gold. In an environment where gold is the priority, in a place where grit isn't overanalyzed. When we, yeah, only in those times it's okay for grit to be called. And being in a relationship like that for over 10 years, I can tell that this is, the, there is the right environment and gold comes out. And then, yeah, like it says there, um, you have to crush the rocks into powder. The grit just gets pulverized. You don't go back to it and be like, by the way, let's, let's try to put it back on now. No, it gets pulverized. You forget about it. It's gone. When we meet violence with violence, it means more violence. When we meet shame with shame, it means more shame. But when we meet love in all of this, compassion, grace, and something shifts. It creates a different environment. How many times have you been in a tense situation where somebody's maybe shouting or maybe it's raising their voice and you are managing that moment to be calm and be like, okay, I see your point of view. What happens to the other person? It's kind of like automatic, like, oh, you've, you've taken me by surprise. I was expecting you to also shout so I can shout louder and you can shout even louder. And then by the end, we, we can't hear each other because we're shouting so loud. I've been in some situation where because of the response... That person was like, oh, it created a different environment. 
and we are called to create a different environment. The path to the kingdom is made with peace rather than retaliate. Jesus, we see him, that he absorbs all violence into himself. And what he gives out is something else. Jesus creates a different environment all the time. Even in the story with a woman, they were creating this environment of tension. It's either A or B. Either way, we can call Jesus out. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. I'm going to take all that. I'm creating something else. In that moment, like the rocks fell from their hands. Everyone left. And the environment was changed. But the thing with us is that we wait until the person in front of us agrees with everything we agree. And, think they, and think, we wait until they like the things that we do. And think until, um, yeah, when we like the person and when they think like we do and when they like the things that we do, then we meet them with love, compassion, and grace. And when we find something we might not agree, we're not sure enough how to react. We would think, oh, maybe I should tell them they're wrong about that because we agreed on everything up until here and this one is not, we don't agree. And obviously, if you think about it, I'm the one being right and I should tell them how they're wrong. And this is, we base our value on a person by our standard. We judge that person by our own standard. But I find myself asking this question to myself. Who am I to say that God's creation is less worthy of love and compassion because they don't like what I like? Because they don't vote like I do? Who am I to say that? This morning when we were, um, when we were singing and, and Faye kept singing the line of, there is none like you. I was like, no, there is none like you. But then God showed me that there is none like him, but he gave a glimpse of himself to each one of us. There's a glimpse of, of God, of Jesus, of who he is in each one of us. And who am I to deny that the Jesus in each person? It's not for me to say, unless Jesus really came and told me, by the way, I'd like you to go and help so-and-so because they're not right. And that's a different situation because you know what the situation is. I'm talking about every single day when you find when we find things that we don't agree or like with one another. I read this once from a lady I follow on my Instagram. She said this, I don't like green tea. Does it mean green tea is unlikable? My dislike of green tea is not a statement of tea itself. And that is so true about everyone around us. Just because I don't like something, do I don't go around telling people, by the way, don't drink green tea, it's horrible. No, I just don't like it. Do I go people convincing that green tea is a horrible thing? No. Do I go around making a statement of tea itself? By the way, everyone, please only drink Yorkshire tea, never green tea. I mean, we didn't live in Yorkshire. That probably does happen. But it's not a statement of tea itself. It's not a statement. It, it doesn't make green tea more or less valuable because I like it or dislike it. I'm not going to go to someone's house and be like, by the way, today, we're here today to talk about and convince you that you all should stop drinking green tea and here's my reasons why and here's another 20 people that also dislike green tea and let's, oh, by the end of this meeting, can we all agree that green tea is horrible? They would be very, you'd be like, well, you, you don't like it, you don't drink it. I like it, I drink it. But we do that with one another sometimes. We use our value to measure, to decide if someone is likable or unlikable, instead of just thinking, this is just me. I don't like it, you might like it. 
And then we allow the liking or unliking of someone, how we treat them, and it stops us loving them in the way we're meant to love them. Liking or unliking should not be in the way. I'm called to love my neighbor as myself, not to have everything in common, not to agree with everything they say and do, or even like them. I'm not called to like my neighbor as I like myself. I'm called to love them as I love myself. I'm called to go a step further than agree to disagree. You know what? Let's just agree to disagree. Let's leave it here. No, no, no. I'm called to go a a step forward and love that person. Yes, we agree to disagree, but I'm not going to stop being in your life. I'm not going to stop loving you. I'm, not gonna, I'm called to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Not to just allow it. In Proverbs 31, verse 8 and 9, we read this. Speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the right of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. That doesn't just say, oh, be okay. Just don't be in the room with someone you disagree. I would not be in a room with a lot of people if that was the case. It says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. I am called to go a step further. At the end of the prodigal son in the story, we read this about the father. But while he was, uh, so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The father was filled with compassion, not filled with telling his son how wrong he was, not with a speech about how I knew you'd be back before you knew it. I knew you'd have no money without, in no time. But the father was filled with compassion. And obviously this story is a, a mirror. It's a, Jesus is drawing a comparison the way God is with us. He's compassionate towards us when we, yeah, he's compassionate towards us, not when we do anything. He's compassionate, full stop. Let's read Exodus. It says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious Lord, slow to anger, abounding in love. He, the first word that is chosen to describe God is compassionate and gracious God. The Hebrew word for um, compassionate is rahum. And the Hebrew word for compassion is rahamim. Some people in this room should be able to read those. Um, but those, these, both these words are, um, what is it called? The, they derive from the word boom, which is rahem. The word compassion derives from the word womb, the core of a person. Because the way a mother feels about her child is the way the Bible describes God. The way a mother takes care of her child, the way a parent loves their child so much and could, yeah, you hold them. I I look now and I see Josh just holding his daughter so lovingly. There's nothing in his mind, in his heart of evil towards her. That is the way. The father thinks of each of you. That is the way he thinks of each of us. That is the way he thinks of that person that you don't like very much. He's loving, he's compassionate, he's protective. At, wor- at times in, throughout the Bible, the word compassionate is translated as deeply moved. God is deeply moved towards us. His deep compassion meets us where we are. 
And Jesus' deep compassion for us was shown on the cross when he died for our sins. But we are called to be compassionate. We are called to be compassionate. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. If we want to walk as Jesus walked and love as Jesus loved, we will need to clothe ourselves with compassion. We need to grow in compassion for one another. We know to what extent, you know to what extent you are clothed in compassion by your reaction to those around you that are suffering. And not just those around you that are suffering like, and you like or agree with, but those you might not see eye to eye with everything. The way you react to those that are suffering around you, the ones that you don't particularly like or see eye to eye with everything, shows you to what extent you are on this journey. This is a question for you to answer. By yourself, in your discipleship group, with the person that you are walking with and you're trusting. And this is a question that can be answered once and then forgotten. But it's a question that we need to keep coming back to time and time again and growing compassion for one another. To what extent are you clothed in compassion by your reaction to those around you that are suffering? And not just those who you like, but everybody. And answering this question time and time again helps us learn, first of all, where we are and then move a step forward into compassion. Compassion to the Father is part of his character, is who he is. For us, it's something that we need to learn. It's something that we need to grow into. It's something that might not always come so easily, but it's something that I am called to be. Therefore, I'm going to learn to grow in compassion. Amen.